0: Have you ever noticed the different ways that people walk? Sometimes when I'm at the airport or even in the shopping mall, it's kind of interesting to watch how people walk. Because some people walk like this. They walk really fast. They're on a mission, right? And you need to get out of the way. (laughs) There's other people, and these are the people I often get behind when I'm on a mission, and they're doing this. They're just kind of walking really slow, right? Other people, you see them walk like this. They have a what? Yeah, they have a limp. So that's just kind of how they walk. Other people walk like this. Right? They have the, the weight of the world on their shoulders, just like Eeyore, right? The gray donkey. Don't worry about me. Nobody ever does. Right? And then you have people There. if we're going to talk about characters from Winning the Pooh, they're like Tigger, right? I mean, they're just, man, they're just bouncing around. They're just, man, they're happy and... You, And then there's people that kind of walk like this, right? Because what do they have? They have an attitude. They have a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, just knock it off. Go ahead, see what happens, right? Now, here's what I want you to see. In the Bible, the word walk is synonymous with the word live. How you walk through life is how you live. And God is really concerned about the way that you and I walk, the way that you and I live in this world. Now today, we're gonna focus on a particular question. We're continuing our series in Ephesians called This Is Us, as we talk about God's goals for the church. And here's the question for this morning, it's on your outline, how does God want us to walk? How does God want us to live in our journey through life? And church family, this is such an important question. Because how you walk, how you live, doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody that God brings into your life. If you're married this morning, the way that you walk, the way that you live, has a profound influence on your spouse. If you're a parent, how you walk, how you live, affects your kids and your grandkids. How you walk affects your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and every single person in your church family. So today we're going to look at some verses in chapter 5 that tell us how God wants us to walk in this world. And again, just so that these principles can really go deep into our heads and our hearts, there are three ways that God wants us to walk. And here they are. God wants us to walk in love. God wants us to walk in light. And God wants us to walk in wisdom. And there will be a quiz at the end of the service today. Okay? God wants us to walk in love. Let's take a look at that first. Because this is the first thing on your outline. God wants us to walk in love. This is what we read in Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because you are his dear dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Now, here's the first thing I want you to see. We learn to love by imitating God. We learn to love by imitating God. Verse 1 reminds us that we're a family. God's our father. We're his children in the church. And we learn to love by imitating our father. And that's something that makes a lot of sense because children often learn by imitating their parents. Here's a story about that, it goes like this. It was a busy day in our Costa Mesa, California home, and I was having trouble doing even routine chores all because of one little boy. Lynn, who was three at the time, was on my heels no matter where I went. Whenever I stopped doing something and turned back around, I would trip over him. Several times, I patiently suggested fun activities to keep him occupied. Wouldn't you like to go and play outside on the swing set, Lynn? But he simply smiled and said, Oh, that's all right, Mommy. I'd rather be here with you. And then he continued to bounce happily along behind me. After stepping on his toes for the fifth time, I began to lose my patience and insisted that he go outside and play with the other kids. When I asked him why he was acting this way, he looked at me with those sweet green eyes and said, Well, Mommy, my Sunday school teacher said we should walk in Jesus' footsteps, and because I can't see his I'm walking in yours. When it comes to our walk through life, we're told in these verses to imitate God. And in order to do that, what do we need to do? We have to see God in action. So how do we see God in action? Well, through the pages of Scripture, because as you read the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus in action. And Jesus is not merely a man, Jesus is God come in the flesh. And in his interaction with people, we see the love of God. I love what um, Alistair Geddes pointed out when he was here preaching um, just a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus went places where nobody else would go. And that's a wonderful truth. Jesus loved people in such profound ways. When when people were confused, Jesus would hang out with them. When when people were, were lonely, he would speak words of encouragement into their lives. When they were sick, he would heal them. When they didn't know what to do, he would give them words of wisdom. Those were all expressions of love reflecting the heart of God for people. And so the scripture says we're supposed to imitate God and the ways that he loves people. Now, here's something else that I want you to see when it comes to walking in love. Look at this verse again. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. And notice this. He loved us and offered himself as a, what's the next word? sacrifice for us. So look at the statement on your outline, love always requires a sacrifice. Love always requires a sacrifice. I read a shocking revelation online this week about marriage and it said this and I quote, experts, marriage experts have concluded that a successful marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. Sometimes you have to give more than you get. What a news flash, right? I mean, you think about love. Love always requires what? A sacrifice. And and next week, we're actually going to jump into the arena of marriage, and we're going to talk about husbands and wives. But in Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's an extreme sacrifice that God calls us to make as an expression of what? Of love. Love always requires a sacrifice. What about parenting? Do moms ever sacrifice sleep for their kids? All you moms know that, right? Some of you may have done it last night. Parenting requires sacrifices. You sacrifice time and money. Sometimes as your kids grow up, you sacrifice your plans, your dreams. That's even true with adult kids. Parenting requires an ongoing sacrifice as an expression of love. What about in the military? Let's say that you're a soldier and another soldier is pinned down in a firefight and he needs your help. What do you do? Well, you go and rescue him. Why? Because love requires a sacrifice. And what about the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made? Remember what he said? Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And so, church, we know that God wants us to walk in love because the most important priority of our lives is love. And the best time to love is now. So God wants us to walk in love. Here's another way that God wants us to walk. God wants us to walk in light. God wants us to walk in light. Verse eight says this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now what can happen if you walk in a place that's completely dark? You can get hurt. Why? Because you can't see where you're going. Somebody said one time that God gave us shins to find furniture in the dark. When you, when you walk in physical darkness, you can get hurt physically. When you, work in, when you walk in spiritual darkness, you can get hurt spiritually. And the problem is that the people that are walking in spiritual darkness don't know they're walking in spiritual darkness. So how can you tell if somebody is walking, spiritually speaking, in the light or in the dark? Well, take a look at the statement on your outline. It says this, What we do and what we say shows whether we are walking in the light or in the darkness. I read an interesting quote this week about the difference between men and women. It goes like this. Women, may have many faults, but men have only two. Everything they say and everything they do. Now, here's the thing. What we say and what we do reveals the condition of our heart. Isn't that true? What we say and what we do shows whether we're walking in the light or walking in the dark And Paul goes on to say this. He says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Now, this is really fascinating because there are different areas of our lives that are addressed here. The first is what you do with your body because it talks about sexual immorality. The second thing is what you do with, it's really God's money, because it talks about greed. Don't be greedy, don't just keep things for yourself. Be concerned about others. So, Paul's talking about what you do with your body, what you do with God's money, and the next is what you do with your words. He's talking about speech. He says, hey, there shouldn't be obscene stories, foolish talk, horse jokes. Now, this is what's interesting. These three areas of our lives don't just show for walking in the light or walking in the dark. These three areas of our lives, what we do with our body, what we do with our money, what we do with our words, have long-term consequences. And that's what we read next. Paul says this, you can be sure, you can count on this, that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater. Money's an idol. Worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. And then Paul says this in the next verse. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces what is good and right and true. This week as I was working on the message, I was thinking about an experience that I had When I was a rookie firefighter a lot of years ago, we were at the fire academy and phase one of our training was pretty intense. We had to go um, six days a week, 10 hours a day for training. And they had this big drill tower and this um, drill that we engaged in was called search and rescue. And the way that it worked is that there was sort of a basement to this six story drill tower and the training officers would take um, tires and plywood and all kinds of debris and pour diesel fuel on it and then set it on fire. And they would vent all of this heat and smoke to the upper floors. And then one of the training officers would actually go hide, and he was the victim. And then teams of two had to search and rescue the victim. So I remember the first time I ever did this, I was working with a friend. His name was Sam. He was another rookie recruit. And we had a really cool plan. And this was was our plan. You know, we were wearing those breathing tanks um, where you sound like Darth Vader. (laughs) when you're breathing, so our plan was this. We knew that the training officer had to breathe, right? So what we did, we went up, we climbed up the ladder, went into the window, and uh, we held our breath because we figured we could hear where he was by his breathing, and sure enough, we heard that sound, and we, so we go to the corner, and we, we grab him, and then the next thing was trying to find our way back out. And it was so difficult because there's so much heat and so much smoke, and you're, you're not able to see your hand in front of your face, but we could see this little shaft of light coming from the window. And we knew that's the way out of the darkness. That is the way to rescue this person who's who's held in the grip of hopelessness and darkness. And I thought, you know, that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? Because Jesus comes to this dark world. He is, by his own admission, the light of the world. And he leaves this this glory in heaven. He sets aside all of his privileges and becomes one of us. He becomes a human being. And he does what no person could ever do. He lives a perfect life. Why? Because we need to be rescued. Why do we need to be rescued? Because we're separated from God by our sin. And, And God is just and has to punish our sin. And unless God intervenes, we're gonna spend eternity apart from him. But Jesus, because of his great love, launches the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. And so he enters the darkness And he fights against the darkness, and he does that by going to a cross. And on the cross, God is willing to do this, to take our sins and put them on Jesus, to punish him in our place. And church, we know this. The wrath of God against sin is poured out on Christ, and he dies for us, but then he comes back to life. He defeats the darkness. He defeats death, and he invites us to come and live in the light by following him. In fact, take a look at the statement on your outline. It says this, Jesus has rescued us, rescued us from the darkness and caused us to live in the light. And I love what Jesus said. This is John eight twelve. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, think about this promise. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is one of my favorite Bible verses. It's in the book of Colossians. And it says this, for he, that is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from the chains of darkness, from the prison of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And church, listen, because we've been rescued, God wants us to do two things, to be incredibly thankful. Our lives should be a living thank you note to God because he's rescued us from the darkness. But God wants us to stay away from the darkness. He wants us to live in the light. And that's what this next verse says. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out, and this is such an important thought, find out what pleases who? The Lord. It doesn't say find out what pleases your spouse, find out what pleases your boss, your neighbor, yourself? No, find out what pleases the Lord. The question is, how do you do that? How do you find out what pleases Jesus? Well, here's a good place to start with the book. Just start in the book. Let me ask you this, does it please Jesus if you forgive somebody who's hurt you deeply? What do you think? Of course, why? Because it's right here in the book. What about this, Um, does it please Jesus when you serve using your abilities? To, to help people in your church family? Well, of course, because it's in the book. When you give generously to God's work in the world, does it please Jesus? Well, yeah, because it's in the book. But here's the thing. Not everything is explicitly stated in the book. For example, let's say that you're thinking about moving, selling your house, starting a new job, starting a new business. How do you know if that pleases the Lord? Well, certainly there are biblical principles that you can look to, but here's what you really need to do. You need to hit your knees and ask God. Ask God. Lord, what pleases you in this situation? Because one of the prayers that I, that I always pray when I'm trying to decide what to do is this, God, show me my heart. Is this something that I just want for myself? Is it because of ego or pride? Or is it because I love you and I want what's best for your kingdom and best for your people? So we can ask God to show us the motivation of our heart. And here's something else we can do. We can actually go ask other people who know the book and who love Jesus. People that we trust, people who know us. And ask for godly wisdom, godly counsel. And that leads us to another principle. This is verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So here's the third way that God wants us to walk. God wants us to walk in what? In wisdom, in wisdom. There's a story about this college professor and he was at a faculty meeting when this genie appears out of nowhere and the genie looks at him and says, okay, I will give you your wish and you get three choices. Um, You can wish for money, for fame, or for wisdom. And so the college professor is thinking, and the genie says, clock's ticking, you got 30 seconds. And so the uh, college professor says, okay, okay, I'm I'm gonna go for wisdom, I want wisdom. And there's this big flash of light and a puff of smoke and the genie disappears. And all of the people at the faculty meeting are looking at the college professor because now he's supposed to be what? Really wise, because that's what he wished for. And so he says, you know what? Man, I should have taken the money. Here's a question. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be wise? Well, here's here's something that's really important to remember. A wise person knows the purpose and meaning of life. A wise person knows the purpose and meaning of life. There was a man, his name is Dr. Hugh Moorhead. He's a philosophy professor at Northeastern Illinois University. And one time, he was writing a book about the purpose and meaning of life, so he wrote to 250 of his colleagues, intellectual, college professors, you know, scientific thinkers, to ask them, what is the purpose and meaning of life? Some of them kind of gave him some guesses about the meaning and purpose of life. Some of them were completely honest and said, I don't have a clue. Some of them wrote back and said, hey, Dr. Moorhead, if you discover that, would you please let me know? Because I want to find out the purpose and meaning of life. Friends, listen, To discover the purpose and meaning of life, we have to go to the one who created us and created life itself. And I love what we find in the book of Proverbs, um, written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And these are the opening uh, verses, if you will, in the book of Proverbs. It says this, these are the wise sayings of Solomon, David's son, Israel's king, written down so we'll know how to live well and right And catch this, to understand what life means and where it's going. Where does wisdom come from? From God's word. Now, we all know that God wants us to walk in wisdom, but what is wisdom? Because it's not just knowledge. A lot of people have knowledge. But what is wisdom? I think one of the best definitions was given by a pastor, his name is Eugene Peterson. He said this, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. It has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents, with raising our children, with handling our money, with conducting our sexual lives, with going to work and exercising leadership. And he goes on to list these very practical things that we need wisdom to do in order to please God. Now here's another characteristic of a wise person. A wise person makes the best use of their time. A wise person makes the best use of their time. You can always make more money, but you can never make more what? You can't make more time. And so if we're going to live with wisdom when it comes to time, we've got to have the right priorities, God's priorities. Now, I don't know how many birthday candles you're going to have on your cake this year. I'm going to have a lot if they put one for every year. And I know this, the more candles I get on my cake, the more I think about how I'm spending the time that God gives me. And what is the best use of that time? Because I'll tell you this, church family, there are so many things that we devote a lot of time to that will not last. I mean, think about it. Is this building gonna last forever? No. Your car, your TV, your clothes, stuff doesn't last forever. Let me tell you what lasts forever, three things. God lasts forever, God's word lasts forever, and the people that God made lasts forever. So what does that tell us about our priorities and how we should use our time? We should be working on our relationship with God. We should be devoting ourselves to understanding God's word. And we should be engaged with people, loving them, serving them. Because people last forever. And here's the last characteristic of a wise person. First of all, they know the purpose and meaning of life. What was the second thing that a wise person does? Has to do with time, right? They use their time well. And, And here's the third thing. A wise person, see if we can get the right slide there. A wise person lives under the influence of God's Spirit. A wise person lives under the influence of God's Spirit. And Paul says this so clearly. He says, look, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you this. If you, um, you know, leave church, today and, you know, go home and you're having lunch and you decide to drink a like a six-pack of beer after lunch or a whole bottle of wine, okay, and then you get your car and drive to the store and get pulled over, what will you be charged with more than likely? Yeah, DUI. What does that stand for? Driving under the influence, the influence of alcohol. Now, there's a really interesting story in Acts chapter 2 where some people were accused of being under the influence of alcohol, but they really weren't and some of you know the story, it's when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, people start speaking in languages they had never studied, proclaiming the mighty acts of God, and people wonder, what does this mean? And some people said, it means they're drunk, they're under the influence of alcohol. Well, they were partially right, they were under the influence, not of alcohol, but under the influence of God's Spirit. And that's what Paul says, hey, don't Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Be filled with God's Spirit. So what what does it look like when you're filled with God's Spirit? Well, it means that you allow God to control your life, that you allow God to determine the pace and direction of your life. It means that as you find yourself in situations with people and things and problems, that you respond with wisdom because you're filled with the Spirit. You say and you do what Jesus would say and what Jesus would do if he were standing in your place. Of course, the important question is, well, how do I do that? How do I get filled with God's spirit? Well, think of the letters AA, because here's what you need to do. Admit you need God's spirit and ask God for his spirit. We need to come to God and say, God, I can't do this, I'm depending on you. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do how much? Nada, you can't do anything. And so we've got to have that, that humbleness to come and ask God for his spirit, ask God for his help, and then we've got to receive God's spirit. Now somebody compared this one time to breathing, they compared it to spiritual breathing where you breathe out, where you exhale, and that's where you just confess and say, God, you know, I've, I've messed up. God, I need you desperately, and then you inhale. You actually receive the filling of God's spirit by faith. Now church, I told you there's going to be a quiz, right? So are you ready for the quiz? All right. How does God want us to walk through life? How does he want us to live? What's the first way? In what? Okay, what's the second way? In light. And what's the third way? In wisdom. And and here's the thing. You know, week after week, I have the privilege of preparing a message and sharing that message with you. the church family, what I want, and I know this is what God wants, is for you to take his word and put it into practice in your life. And so I want to do this this morning. I want to give us an opportunity to talk to God about walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. So could we do this? Would you just bow your heads and let me lead you in a prayer this morning? Father, I thank you for your, your truth that really does change us and change our hearts. And God, we know that you want us to walk in love. And so I just pray right now that you'll show us Exactly what that means. Lord, maybe there's a person that's hurt us. Um, Lord, maybe there's a person that that we don't even want to reach out to because of, of pain in our hearts. But Lord, would you help us this morning to reach out in love in the name of Christ? God, if there's a situation, would you just bring that to our mind right now? And Lord, I want to pray this too because you not only want us to walk in love, you want us to walk in light. You want us to let go of the darkness. And Father, I pray that if somebody here this morning is living with one foot in the dark and one foot in the light, Lord, that they would let go of the darkness. Lord, if there's something that that we're hiding, hiding from other people, hiding from you, Lord, I pray that you would bring that into the light. Lord, maybe it's something with finances, maybe it's something with an addiction. God, I don't know what it is, but you do because you see it all. But God, I pray this, that whatever we need to bring into the light right now, you would give us the grace to do that. So Lord, just show us, talk to us about what we need to bring into the light. And finally, Lord, help us to not just walk in love or walk in light, but to walk in wisdom. And Father, some of us this morning are facing really important choices, important decisions, and we need you, God, to show us what to do. So Father, right now, would you please give us the grace of your wisdom? Show us, Father, where we need to walk in wisdom. God, I'm thankful that the wisest choice that we can ever make is the choice to follow Jesus. And if somebody here today has never made that choice, I pray that right here, right now, they would simply say to you in their own way, in their own words, God, I need you. I, I know that you love me and I am thankful that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe that, that I'm a sinner and he's my savior, that he died for my sins and, and he came back to life and I want to follow him. I want to let go of the dark and live in your light. And Father, you always hear that prayer. You always run to rescue us. Thank you, God, that you're doing that over and over again. And Lord, today, as we bring this service to a close, I pray that as we sing this last song, God, it would be this bold declaration that we're going to live a life that pleases you, that we're going to do our best, God, trusting your Holy Spirit to give us courage and, and power to live in love, to live in light and to live in wisdom and to build our lives on the sure foundation of your love. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.